There are many things in Oaxaca for you to do and see. Consuming mezcal, seeing birds, and shopping are just three. Thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I'm Hannah, and he's Eric. And we created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on different birding topics. We're definitely not experts, and anything that we discuss that might be controversial, I want you to remember, their own opinions, and they might be different from yours. So I feel like I'm just going to constantly say, hey, we're in migration, but that's because migration takes all it's, it's, year. There's a lot of migration. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyways, um, speaking of migration, yes. we there was a massively sad event that happened recently in Chicago that has kind of taken over my news reels, mm-hmm. and it's that a thousand birds in one single night were uh, hit windows on a Chicago building and died. Yeah, so this is just like another reminder of uh, ho- hopefully it's uh, taken, it gets the notice of lawmakers and massive, big, huge contractors and uh, developers and stuff like that, that this is something that impacts like not only the people that are obsessed with birds like us, but also it made, it made headline news for regular news media as well. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it draws their attention to, we need to do something about these buildings. We need to do something about the practices of leaving lights on. We need to do something about all of this stuff. Otherwise, we're just going to continue having mornings where we wake up with piles of dead birds in the middle of the street. Well, and the location is called the McCormick Place, and it's the largest convention center in North America. And I know, you know, the convention centers that we have in Portland, mm-hmm. they are heavily glass-plated. too Two giant glass towers. Yeah. yeah. Well, not giant, but they're they're big glass towers. Exactly. Um, so that's just, it's super devastating to hear that kind of news. And especially as it is the largest one in America, like think about the cost of trying to repair that is going to be astronomical. Yeah. And hopefully they look into some practices that could try to limit the amount of bird deaths. Um, like Eric mentioned, you know, lights off um, events that occur during migration timeframes, as well as uh, bird friendly glass, or at least trying to do the feather friendly, you know, dots or something um, to try to prevent this sort of thing from happening again. Yeah. And so like events like this happen during like horrible events like this happen during peak migration times where there's millions or hundreds of thousands of, at a minimum of birds flying over in a single night and they get confused when we have all of our lights on, it draws them into the city, and then cities are a giant maze of death traps for them. There's glass windows all over the place, there's free-roaming cats, there's all, all sorts of things that can cause issues for migrating birds. Um, if you have a heavy fog, it can disorient the birds in terms of a branch or leaves they're going to be able to avoid, but if they come into a building that's 60 feet wide, like it's kind of hard to just kind of swerve slightly around to get through. So it's it's it gets complicated when we have a big huge city right in the middle of a migration path which many of our cities are right in the middle of migration paths so you have like chicago houston dallas like all of those central flyway you have all the ones on the eastern flyway from new york and all all the way down the whole uh, eastern seaboard on the west coast la portland portland seattle um san diego all these places that are all right in the middle of flyways that can cause massive devastation so it's Hopefully this gets a little bit more traction with uh, with lawmakers about uh, um, developers providing bird-friendly options for glass on large buildings or avoiding 
giant glass structures all together. But. Yeah, and so we'll post an article about um, yeah. what happened if you want to learn more. And then we do have uh, two episodes that we've done about bird-friendly glass yes, and we have. window collisions. So we can also repost um, the links to those episodes if you want to go back and, and listen to all the information about that. Absolutely. The whole episode's all about that. So, um, on a happier note, uh, we want to thank Neil for buying us some coffee using yeah. the Buy Me a Coffee um, website, which you can also find in our show notes if you want to help support our podcast. Uh, there's, you know, lots of ways to spend your money in birds, <laughs> whether it's optics or conservation or whatever. And uh, we definitely appreciate those of you who have, um, you know, bought us a coffee and helped support our program. Yeah. All right. So we wanted we want to talk briefly about a specific bird. Well, we were talking about migration. Yes. And so there's a migratory bird that we wanted to mention real quick that we will mention probably a number of times throughout the episode. I imagine uh, so. But Nashville warbler. Yeah. So Nashville warblers they don't they don't breed in Nashville. They were a a, a dude named them Nashville because he saw them in Nashville, and so he's like, oh, here we go. I'm going to call it a Nashville warbler. So that's that's kind of where they got their name. Um, but they're kind of interesting. They 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 have an interesting uh, habit of using uh, porcupine quills in their in their nests for material, which seems not right. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, porcupine quills like scare me with their like like microscopic rear facing barbs. barbs. Like that's and and the fact that uh, porcupines like do that like aggressive like. <laughs> Are they, well, I am sure they're they not pulling them off the porcupine. Oh, I'm sure they're themselves. not. I mean, I'm sure it's little tiny barbs that they're finding on the ground right around where porcupine just happened to be, but... So if you approach a Nashville warbler nest, be <laughs> cautious, because apparently there's porcupine quills yeah, all over the don't, place. don't pick them up barehanded. Uh, so anyways, that species we'll, we'll mention, I'm sure, heavily in this episode, because we, in Oaxaca, when we were birding down there, we saw a ton of Nashville warblers. Yes, and we did. And that's also a species you can see throughout much of the U.S. Uh, there's kind of a section in the middle of, uh, like, Colorado and Wyoming and uh, New Mexico that you, you don't really see them as frequently in Montana as well but then they winter down in uh mexico yeah down in southern mexico right where we were at exactly yeah so it's a very interesting bird i always um i always have a little bit of trouble iding them because they're kind of nondescript and i always think they should be something else (laughs) (laughs) uh but you know there's a lot of great apps like birda that can help you um, identify them better and you can also use apps like Birda to find birds like national warblers, like where was the most recent one sighted, you know, in your local area or outside your local area. Um, and then it also has some great tools on there to check out migration. So not only does Birda have a bunch of like interesting weird facts about uh, about the birds on there as well, it also has distribution maps. And while not every species they have has a live uh, live animation of the Migration. Of the migration. But there are still, still are some interesting ones in there. So, like, uh, Western Tanager is in there. And Western Tanager is similar-ish to uh, what the migration map would look like for uh, Nashville Warbler. You're missing the eastern seaboard half of it. But, uh, but yeah, you can go in there and you look at the map and you see, okay, well, when when are they leaving? When are they coming? And you can kind of scroll through as it, as it goes as a, uh, a live play-by-play, as opposed to just looking at the, uh, the static distribution map that's, uh, that's on every species. Yeah, and I really enjoy watching them. I mean, not only is it just something really cool to see how they, like, flood up through, like, Canada with the Western Tangers and then down, you know, filter back down into Mexico, um, it, it's super helpful. So I have an idea of when they leave, 
you know, the Pacific Northwest where we're at mm-hmm. and then arrive in places like Mexico, like if we're going to see them in Mexico. Yeah. So, Which uh, we did see Western Tanager while we were down there. We did. We saw a handful of them. Yeah. So very, very cool um, feature that they have. And if you want to check out what more that Berta has to offer, definitely download the app. It's free and it's a lot of fun. So as you, as you all know, we Hannah has two other podcasts that she hosts, so Woman Birders, Happy Hour, and Bird Nerd Book Club. So what's... Uh, What's on the docket and or just happened? What do you got? <laughs> so for Women Birders Happy Hour, I just interviewed Natasha Fontaine, who is a birder um, on the East Coast and did a Florida Big Year a couple years ago. So I'm excited to share with you all what she has, you know, her interests in birding and what's going on with her. Um, and then also the drink for that episode, which you still have to figure out, is Bobble Ink. Oh. So that'll be exciting. I'm excited. I can almost hear the drink now. <laughs> Maybe it'll make a noise when you put it together. Probably. Uh, and then I'll... <laughs> cocktails by noise. <laughs> cocktails by ear. Yeah, identifying uh, cocktails by ear. Yeah. Anyways, uh, my Bird Nerd Book Club came out last week, and the, uh, that episode was Yellowstone's Birds, which was a very fun conversation about yellow, the history of Yellowstone and the birds that, you know, exist in that national park and within that ecosystem. So check either of those out anywhere you listen to podcasts, Women Birds Happy Hour and the Bird Nerd Book Club. So, other than that, we're going to be going some places. Yes, we are. Um, in less than a month, we will be in the Rio Grande Valley for the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival. Um, if you haven't already signed up for some trips or signed up to go down there, it is definitely a festival not worth worth not missing. There we go. There's too many weird negatives in there. Um, also, in February, we're going to be doing the San Diego Bird Festival, um, Birding by Bike, and a number of other stuff is going on down there with us. And then the whole festival itself is, is a blast. Uh, Spring Chirp, down in the Rio Grande Valley again in April. At the end of April, we'll be down there in the Rio Grande Valley for that. And then at the end of next year, um, just slightly less than a year away, 11 months away, um, Hannah will be going to Brazil um, for the Amazon Birding Expedition Brazil for Women. And if you want to join in on that, there are still some more spaces left. There's only like two left, right? I think, yeah, yeah. like two. Um, it's getting tight. We'll post the link in the show notes so you can join me on that trip. So uh, that brings us to the October Bird Nerd Giveaway. <laughs> Time to announce our winner for that. So we asked you all to tell us your favorite body of water to go birding at. And the winner um, wins a reusable straw kit from the Friends of Willapa Bay. And that was part of our Wings Over Willapa um, uh, festival that we did last month. So um, our winner for this one is Chrissy. And Chrissy said that she happened to listen to the episode while she was at one of her favorite spots. It's a back road wetland below a mountain. It's not an e-bird hotspot, just her own personal location called Malcolm Road Marsh. And she loves it because it's off the beaten trail and not many people are there, just a handful of the residents. And she always sees a belted kingfisher or two. And she's seen a couple of other birds at that spot, like Townsend Solitaire and Hutton's Vireo. And she's also seen some bears on there, which is out oh, at that spot, which exciting. is a bonus. So that's very cool. Thank you for sharing your favorite water body sites to go birding at. And thank you all for who entered uh, the Bird Nerd giveaway. So make sure to tune in to our next episode where we announce our next Bird Nerd giveaway. 
Okay, so as you guys all know, um, we didn't mention it as future travel because we are back and this episode is all about it. We just got back from Oaxaca. So Oaxaca is uh, southwestern Mexico, all the way down, fairly close to the southern border, not super close to it, but fairly close down there. Um, And it is a fantastic birding location. It's um, mostly subtropical. There's a lot of different elevational differences down there. The the city, uh, Oaxaca de Juarez, is... Kind of, it's in a valley in between two mountain ranges, so you've got two different mountain range um, options to go to nearby. It's five hours to the coast, which seems kind of long, but it really, most people go to Oaxaca go to the coast. We we didn't. That was the funny thing, you know, like in our community, like we have a lot of friends that live here, uh and we were, they were like, oh, where's your next trip? And we're like, oh, we're going to Oaxaca. And they're like, oh, you're going to the beach? And we're like... No, should we be? <laughs> so the whole time I was feeling like, I don't know, some kind of imposter syndrome that it was like, we should be going to the beach, but mm-hmm. we're not. Like, are we even going to have a good time in Oaxaca? Because <laughs> we're not doing what everybody else is doing. Uh, but, you know, as we learned... It, there, it, made, it made it even worse when we first landed and the the first, the person. first person we talked to, who's another, another American tourist, he... Um, he, I was standing waiting for Hannah to come out of the bathroom, and he he walks out. And he's like, "Oh, hey, you guys do, gonna get, do something fun?" Because we had all of our gear with us, and um, I was like, "Oh yeah, we're going birding." He's like, oh, "Are you going out to the beach?" It's like, "You're like the thirtieth person to ask us if we're going to the beach." Yeah. Like, uh, no, we're not going to the beach. We're going around the city. We're staying. We're doing day trips out of the city. And he's like, "Oh, okay." Uh, it's like, man, should we be going to the beach? Well, and we found out, you know that. There's so much to do. We were in Oaxaca for a week. Mm-hmm. There's so much to do just right there. It's like, yeah. I, I mean, if we would have gone to the beach, we would have missed all the really cool stuff. Yeah, mi- right. missed a bunch of stuff in town. Yeah. yeah. So We just need to go back to I, go to the beach. I guess so. There's a lot more to see there. Yeah. So uh, we didn't, like, going to Oaxaca, we didn't necessarily, like... I don't know. I felt like it was random that we ended up going there. Um, Fairly random, yeah. We wanted to go somewhere warm because it was like the beginning of fall here and I knew it was going to be chilly and this was my last ditch effort to go somewhere warm. And, you know, it was an opportunity for us that that week arose that we were kind of free. Yeah. And we hadn't had, you know, time off in a little while. So we were like, okay, let's just pick a place and go. And I don't know how Oaxaca... Ended up fitting the bill. I can't remember exactly how it did either, besides that it's warm and there's, like, subtropical birds. I think I looked at eBird. I looked at where the red spots were in mm-hmm. October, and that was it. All right. Well, once we decided we were going to Oaxaca, um, Hannah's sister, Alexis, was like, hey, we need... You guys need to bring me with you, <laughs> because she's she's uh, formerly a Spanish teacher. She, is, she loves um, Mexican culture, and she was like, there's so much culture in Oaxaca. There's so much stuff to see. There's so much stuff to do. You have to take me with you. And so we were like, yeah, sure, you can tag along. Yeah. <laughs> which, which, was, which was a blessing. She, she forced us to look up things beforehand a little bit to, to do a little bit more cultural exploration of the area well, while we were there, she, she which, always, which isn't something we normally do a ton of. We normally focus bird, 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 bird the whole time. So. And she always gives us a hard time anywhere we travel, and she's like, oh, did you go to this museum? Did you go to this museum? And we're like... No, we were out at parks the whole time. What, what, what about this church or this uh, this uh, amphitheater or this, that? And yeah. Like, mm, no. So anyways, it, like Eric said, it is a blessing <laughs> that she went along with us. So then we were forced to go do some of that stuff. Not yeah. that we don't want to. It's just, 
you know, birds. We don't we don't usually carve out time to go do that sort of thing. Exactly. So anyways, we flew in from, uh, we our route was Portland to Seattle, Seattle to Mexico City, and then Mexico City to Oaxaca, which is only like another hour, you know, from Mexico City to Oaxaca. So pretty... Pretty easy transit. Yeah, um, not, not, not very long at all. Yeah. And we got there about 8 o'clock, took a um, bus over to our hotel, mm-hmm. which is the Hotel Casa Antica. Um, I had a lot of trouble trying to figure out, like, exactly where to stay in Oaxaca. Not because, you know, it's bad. It's just there's so many options. Yeah. It's, so Oaxaca itself... For anybody that's not super familiar with um, all around Mexico, it's down, down s- southwestern Mexico, and it is a tourist destination, like hardcore. And it's not American tourists. It's mo- For the most part, it's um, other tourists that are coming from uh, Mexico City and from northern Mexico, other, other places throughout northern, central, and uh, uh, western Mexico. They come down to vacation. So it is, there's hotels everywhere. It seems... It doesn't seem what you think of as, um, like, tourist Mexico, like when you go to Playa del Carmen, or if you go to uh, oh, Cabo. Um, Cabo or something like that, where it's got, like, all the um, the silly, like, t-shirts that say the weird stuff. Frogs like, and... all, all, it's not that sort of um, tourist, but it's, it's, tour, it's touristy. It's just a different, it's not geared towards American tourists, it's geared towards Mexican tourists coming from other parts of Mexico. So, lots and lots of hotels, lots of options, lots of... Uh, different places to stay of every level of cost and quality. And the place that we settled on is called uh, Hotel Casa Antica, mm-hmm. which I just had to stay there because it very clearly shows you on the website. It's a 16th century convent that was converted into a hotel. And I love historic hotels. Mm-hmm. And so that was like the place that we had to go. And it's built in a classic colonial style with a massive wooden door that leads you from the street into the entryway. Like when you're in that entryway lobby, mm-hmm. like you don't even know that like there's this street out right outside. Especially, with, like, especially if the door is like half closed, like it's the, the doors it's, I thought it was fascinating, and, and this is the case for most of the buildings through the historic section of Oaxaca, which is where we stayed, that it's these big, huge wooden doors that are made with timbers, not, like, not wood, so it's these, these doors are, like, 12 inches thick or 14 inches thick, like, these big, huge, massive, swinging, heavy doors that are nice and balanced, so they swing fairly easily, but they're, it's old, old-style antique doors that are cool. Yeah, and so when you entered, you go through the lobby, and mm-hmm. then there's a open um, courtyard mm-hmm. that had, you know, that's kind of where the restaurant um, had dinner, was in that courtyard, which the restaurant was just right off the lobby, so that was really convenient. And then the rooms kind of uh, went along the outside of the building, and there was another courtyard behind mm-hmm. uh, where the cafe was that had a pool and it was open air. And I, mm-hmm. I kind of think of it as like, I don't know, the hotel was a little MC Escher style. Like there was one hallway that you looked down and there was like a bunch of staircases. <laughs> leading yeah. It to... was very MC Escher esque yeah. with the number of staircases going every which direction. And it was, you, there was only like one way to get to anywhere, but there was a thousand ways to go. Yeah. <laughs> you, you could only go one way to get to where you needed to be, but you, there was a ton of different options of places you could get lost going, despite it not being like a crazy huge building. It was just kind of like moderately sized building. Yeah, and you know the room was very comfortable. We had Wi-Fi, TV with cable, comfortable bed. You know all your necessities. Yeah, everything you met. could need for a. 
for a hotel, especially if you're going to go birding. Yeah, and I was really looking forward to the pool, too, because mm-hmm. I just, I wanted to go swimming. And so they had a pool there that Eric claims is solar heated, but yeah. it was like, I don't know, 60 degrees or something like that, like Fahrenheit the whole time. Yeah. So, um, it was yeah. very, very cold, but it's, I feel like that's standard for a solar heated pool. It actually felt really good at the end of a day of birding, though. <laughs> it was very relaxing. So uh, we got all situated and then uh, went to bed because the next day we had to get up early and go mezcal tasting, which my sister had organized for our first day in Oaxaca. We didn't want to go birding the first day because we knew we were going to get in late Mm -hmm. and birding usually starts pretty early. And so we wanted to take that first day and not just be like super jet lagged. Yeah. So we, we kind of were anticipating that we've had issues for our last couple of trips, delayed flights and stuff like that. So we were like, okay, well, we'll sacrifice that first day and not go birding just in case we have a bunch of issues with our flights coming in. And it'll it'll save it'll save us. We'll if if we don't like initially we were just thinking we'll just kind of tour around, wander around town with uh with Hannah's sister. And then she organized a trip, so I was like, okay, that's fine. That's 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 good too. But it was like we don't want to miss our day of birding because of missed flights. So it, it gave us that buffer that we that we wanted. Well, and so you might think like, oh, why are they going to talk about Mezcal? So Mezcal is a, a lot of Americans think of it as like the tequila with a worm in it. Mm-hmm. But it's something that is becoming more and more popular in the U.S. And, you know, we talked to a lot of people about Mezcal while we were there. And they were thinking like, you know, historically that was like a farmer's drink. Like yeah. that's what the farmers like made to share amongst their family. And that was kind of it. But it has grown significantly in popularity and has just boomed in that area. So Oaxaca is the place to go for Mezcal yeah, because absolutely. that's where it really originated. Mm-hmm. And so um, our guide had arranged for us to go to three different palenques, which are the um, like sites where, you know, the distillers. Yeah. So our first stop was to a rather famous Mezcalero, which I think sounds very romantic. Very romantic, yeah. And all of the um, palenques that we went to were in the the area of Santa Catarina Minas. Yeah, so this this whole uh, this whole city is or this uh, village prides itself on clay pot stills. So um, we were explained that there's two different ways to manufacture um, mezcal, and one of them is the traditional clay pot stills, where once once you get to the distilling process, you use clay pots rather than using a more, a more industrial uh, stainless steel or copper pot mm-hmm. um, distillation method. And this whole village. If you did anything other than clay pot, you were essentially kicked out of town because that is that is not the way they do that here. You don't you don't use anything other than clay pot. And Felix was one of the was was the first one we went to, and mm-hmm. I, I I can say it's a very interesting traditional method. That's that's re- it's really cool that somehow they worked their way through figuring out how to make how to s- distill liquor without using any metal. Yeah, which is which is fascinating to me. Yeah, and so Felix has been featured in a number of documentaries, and his family has been producing Mezcal for generations. So, I mean, we did go on this tour because, you know, we like to enjoy drinks and everything, mm-hmm. but we we're also really curious about the culture and the history that surrounds I really mentioned earlier um, about how, like, Mezcal started to become more of a common 
drink mm-hmm. in the U.S. And so a lot of this stuff about the history and culture of Mezcal has really come to light. And these tours like this highlight that. So it's not so much just like drinking it. It's also like how it's made and, you know, the process in which that's done. And there's a lot of traditions that go along with that. Yeah. And it's it was also a little bit about dispelling the rumor because growing up, I remember, vaguely remember like mezcal being a thing but it was the tequila with the worm in it mm-hmm. and it was because um, and we learned we learned this on the trip that uh there's a um one species of agave that gets uh infested pretty heavily with a um a moth mm-hmm. that lays its eggs and the li- caterpillars the caterpillars the and so then so then they are within the leaves of the agave and they're within the and within the heart of the agave itself which at the heart is what they Make the make the drink out of. They chop the leaves off, um, ferment the heart, and then you're good to go. But the, that's not necessarily the case with all mezcals. It's just there's one specific one. So there's lots and lots of other types of mezcals that don't have a worm in them. And we'll try to find a video if you are interested in more about the actual process of mm-hmm. making the mezcal, because this is. You know. I found a good blog that has uh, video or has pictures all the okay. way through the whole process of actually Felix his uh his oven then, okay. then building his oven and then pictures of his uh fermenting area perfect because this is a birding podcast so i don't want to bore you all with um, <laughs> yes. mezcal 101 exactly yeah yeah so it was a just it was fascinating to her and it was um there that we got a couple lifers at felix's palenque because mm-hmm. he you know our guide was talking about the the earthen oven that they build to um, heat up the the pinas mm-hmm. uh, and right along the edge there there was like a ditch that there was a wren hopping around and like I felt so bad I, I told her guide in advance like we're birders so if we're we might not, get distracted if we look like we're not paying attention I'm still listening I'm just also looking for a bird too and there was a wren that was hopping around in there that I was trying to get Eric's attention on but he was too um, distracted with the mezcal conversation <laughs> but yeah that wren I I got the wrong idea on it, which I figured out later, and it was a Bucard's wren. Yeah, yeah, which which is a Mexican endemic, which yeah. we ended up seeing a ton of these guys, but the Bucard's wren is a fairly large wren. Um, I think it's described as a medium-sized wren, but it's... I, I, I think, think of it as large. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a it's a big boy in terms of in terms of wrens, at least it, for at least for um in the United States. And it's kind of zebra striped too, like yeah, it's got a bunch of stripes all over its back, its tail, um, a bunch of dots, bold dots on its chest, and then a fairly large bill that's like long and decurved. Mm-hmm. So it's it almost is like a miniature thrasher. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, but it's a Mexican endemic, so it was it was pretty exciting. It was actually only in like four states in. In Mexico, it's like Chiapas, Oaxaca, and then and then just north of Oaxaca there. I can't remember the name of the state, just north of Oaxaca. But um, just right right there in that area. And then um, our guide took us over to another section of the Planque where from the oven over to like, you know, the big wooden barrel. Yeah, where they were, they were fermenting. Yeah, yeah, and there was um, like a cornfield that was right next to mm-hmm. it. I think it was corn. I'm not entirely sure what he was growing. But there were lesser goldfinches. And yeah. it was, Tons of lesser goldfinches. But finches. it's confusing down there because we have... Um, we don't have the black-backed ones here yeah. <laughs> in uh, in Oregon, and so I'm like not super familiar with seeing them. Like we saw them in Texas and yeah. everything, but that's not that doesn't like immediately bring my attention to lesser goldfinch when I see that. Just I was so much more bold. Well, I was thinking euphonia, and mm. 
And then I I got a good look on it. And it's like, oh, it's the black backed lesser goldfinches. Yeah. So that was very cool to see those. And they were eating all the, the little seeds. So it couldn't have been corn because, yeah, there were seeds. It was some kind of... sorghum or something. Yeah, maybe. something like that. But um, that was, yeah, a really birdie sight there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. So I am... I'm not a... I, I drink beer, but I don't, <laughs> I don't drink hard liquor typically and I don't usually drink very much. Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 a fair I'm fairly lightweight when it comes to liquor. And I don't uh we birded a bit of the first spot. I'm sure the second and third spots had some really good birds, but I really don't remember the third spot at all. And the second spot I I have vague recollections of what happened while we were there. Luckily we had a driver that was not drinking, so he he got us places. But okay, I don't. But, I don't remember like the second half of the day. But what Eric's getting at is that the first palenque that we were at, like we went through the whole process of how to to make the mezcal, mm-hmm. and then um, our guide took us into a room that had these giant, you know, water jugs. Yeah, the five five gallon water jugs. That were that was kind of lining the the inside of mm-hmm. the palenque walls, and so like Felix would you know pour out some of the mezcal, and then we were given you know like a little um, gourd to dip out as much as we wanted Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until like the third or fourth one when our guide was like okay and we have 20 more of these to try in this one room that I was like oh no I drank too much on the first three (laughs) yeah so if you go on a mezcal tour remember to pace yourself very much pace yourself um, I, I was not taking full shots I was just taking like just enough to get a good a good flavor in my mouth but that was too much I wish I would have brought an eyedropper and just <laughs> used that the whole time. Um, but, you know, the whole whole thing about Mezcal is just is really fascinating. Like the diversity of the the liquors that are made. Mm-hmm. There's one that I, I can't stop thinking about called Pachuga that if you're really interested in it, you know, look it up. But they use a lot of different spices and herbs and meats in the distilling process. Yeah, so, so they'll typically, the, the most common is they take a, a whole chicken mm-hmm. or most of a chicken and just toss it in the, in the copper or in, into the um, clay pot still. And it just kind of adds the flavor of the chicken, which it, the chicken gets cooked, but it essentially adds the flavor of the chicken to the to the mezcal, mezcal and it's usually cooked for um holidays you usually make this for like special occasions uh, anniversaries birthdays christmas stuff like that but it's a it's a special batch that's uh pechuga but tons and tons of like like hannah said there's 24 different types which equated to i think it was like 15 different species of agaves that were mixed that were made into some of them were multiple agaves in a single one mm-hmm. but it was like 15 different varieties of agave that each one has a very unique very distinctive flavor so basically like whole different drinks so very fascinating thing this is a birding podcast though so well yeah but (laughs) but the second location we went to Mm -hmm. um it's so felix his whole family you know this is what they do and his there's generations of them and mm-hmm. so they have generations of recipes that go back into it and the next one that we went to i thought was really cool because it's a, a first generation woman distiller yeah and she had yeah. just an absolutely beautiful site you know it was um it was more like a farm and she had like kind of a large lean-to barn sort of thing mm-hmm. that we sat at and enjoyed a, her d- designed as a tasting room sort of thing yeah and hers is called mezcal ramba 
Mm-hmm. And her name was Rosario. And I remember because Eric, he asked like 10 times because, you know, he was already like... 20, I, was, I was a little too far in. He was 30 mezcals deep and he was trying to make an eBird hotspot for her. And so he asked her like five times what her name is. Yeah. Is, you don't remember that? Do I don't you? remember that. It was really funny. Yeah. So anyways, there is a eBird hotspot there now. Well, and she not actually, a hotspot. I, I made a list there. Yeah, but I thought you were going to suggest it as a hotspot. I haven't suggested it. Yet, okay, but. well, you need to. Because she said that birders do come to her site. Yeah, so and, she she has an Airbnb on site that... Uh, or she, she has a cabin that she rents. I don't know if she does use it through Airbnb. I don't know how she rents it. But she does have a cabin on site. That people can come, they spend the morning birding, because right around the area there's some really good birding spots. And actually on her farm it's a pretty good birding spot. And then the you just do mezcal tasting in the afternoon, and then you go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought her site was absolutely gorgeous. And just, oh, yeah. just, you know, so fun to sit there in this beautiful setting. You can see the mountains to the side, mm-hmm. you know, and enjoying mezcal. And she had some really good ones. Yeah. Uh, the third site was a little bit more like industrial, kind of like in a... It was a, it was like a big brick building that was, uh, that they had designed around their ovens. So they, uh, they had a couple ovens set out, um... Oh, it just, was a collaborative one. It's collaborative. There was, there was lot, lots of people in, within the family. I think all cousins share No, it was just people site. within the community. Somebody built it. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, somebody okay. built the site, and then they, like, leased out time I using okay. it. So that was really cool. And then, yeah, we went to those the owner of that property's house mm-hmm. and tried the, the mezcal that they offered. Okay. So anyways, that yeah. was a heck of a day. Yes, um, it was. My advice to anyone... Even though it was a very fun time, please pace yourself. And if you want to bring some home, bring your own uh, bottles. Yes. So you can bring those home. Uh, But in that evening, you know, we had to take some time and try to, you know, compose ourselves a little bit better. And so there's no better way to do that than with some food. Yeah. So we had dinner in the city, um, right in, right in one of the, one of the squares. The plaza. I think it's called the Zocalo. Yeah. The Zocalo, which is the biggest, the biggest main plaza that's in, um, in downtown Oaxaca. Mm -hmm. Um, we went there, had, had dinner, fantastic dinner. And our first, my first, uh, experience with first of many experience eating the champolines, which are grasshoppers, which are a delicacy. My mouth's watering just thinking about it. Sorry. (laughs) They're great. They're either dried or roasted. Um, the Historically, the Zapotec people, which were the pre-Columbian um, indigenous people to the area around Oaxaca, they ate mostly vegetables, fruits, and insects because mm-hmm. they, weren't, they weren't farming, but they were kind of farming insects because super easy, high in nutrition, high in protein, lots of, lots of great things about eating insects. And... It's not something we usually eat in the U.S. But widely available in that area. All over the place. All sorts of street vendors would have big bowls of chapolines, which was, some of them were seasoned. It was kind of like, if, if you see uh, the peanuts, the um, chili, ro- chili yeah, dust, boiled, dust, peanuts. boiled peanuts, like that sort of thing. Like, they were everywhere. And these, bo- these bowls of chapolines, all over the place. And our dinner, we got a big botana platter, which had a bunch of different uh, samplers of stuff. I can't remember everything that was on the, on the platter, but I remember right in the center there was a bowl of the grasshoppers, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll try some," and they were good. And yeah. I was just like, I, "I ended up eating the whole bowl by myself because Hannah was not interested." And I, yeah. I think I think your sister um, she tried a couple. She, she she tried a couple, but man, I just like I chowed down on those things. They were they were good, but yeah, lots lots of lots of insects available 
around uh, Oaxaca because that historically was very, very widely consumed and it's, they're everywhere. It's easy, mm-hmm. easy to get. Yeah, so um, had you know a good night, slept mm-hmm. really well, really oh, yeah. hard, S- slept super hard, <laughs> and then the next day we had an early start. So we met up with our guide, who is Edgar Del Valle. Mm-hmm. At five thirty, he came to our hotel and picked us up, and um, we were so lucky to find Edgar because we had tried a number of folks, uh, different guides, and they um, that were down in Oaxaca, and most of them didn't actually live near Oaxaca de Juarez, mm-hmm. which is that that main center where the airport is, and that's the the county or that's the seat of uh it's a state capital yeah so um edgar does live in oaxaca so it was really handy to have him there and thank you to one of our listeners who suggested him because edgar was great Mm -hmm. um and we were also you know kind of on short notice for a lot of folks too so we're so glad that he was available yeah yeah we know a number of guides throughout mexico and all of them were either way across the way across the country guiding somewhere else or they also live all the way across the country or they were just busy. So it just was, Ed, Edgar, thank, thankfully we were able to find him. And he, he was awesome. Um, he knows his birds. He's an English tutor. So if you don't speak any Spanish, it works. he works out great to be able to, to, to go with. Because... But he, he was also great because we had a lot of, we're taking Spanish classes. Mm-hmm. And he was able to answer a lot of the questions that we have about Spanish. Because, yeah. you know, he is a, a teacher of a language. And so he knows a lot about language itself. Yeah, so that was, that was, that was great too. And we were able to practice our Spanish with him and with, uh, with the folks that we met along the trail. So that was, I thought, I thought that was awesome. So Edgar is not only an English tutor, he's also a bird bander. Mm-hmm. He, he bands in the area. He is working with a group on a project up at Monte Alban, which is a um, historic um, archaeological site just at the edge of Oaxaca City. Well, and also the Botanic Gardens, And too. the Botanic Gardens, yeah. He's, he's, got, he's working with multiple groups. So it's, it was kind of cool seeing like his perspective, because I guess in Mexico, they don't have a certification program. They base their certification program on the U.S. and Canada, so mm. they... He, he, he went up to Canada and got training and then came down and brought that brought that certification, even though it's not recognized within Mexico, he brought that certification down to Mexico and that's what he, he operates under, essentially. So, day one, 5.30 in the morning, start off. Roll out. We're headed to uh, Teotitlan de, del Valle, which is a textile town that's just east of Oaxaca itself, the city of Oaxaca. So, head, head out that way, um, get our first lifer, like... Right off the bat. Yeah, well, I mean, birding is so funny. Yeah. Like, you just stop on a random place, like, where there's some bushes, and, of course, there's good birds there. And so... A- we, we were on the highway still. I know. And it was like, we, we were on... My, my first list, I think, is called Exit to Teotitlan. Yeah, yeah. That's um, what it is. Because it was just... We were on the exit ramp, and it, well, the and exit ramp saw, was wide enough, and... You saw pulled, a common raven, yeah, and common so you were raven. like, is that a common raven? And he's like, yeah, let's just pull off here, and so... He's like, I'll pull over a little further. Yeah, so we got our, our barrel-line hummingbird, which mm-hmm. is a lifer, um, tropical kingbird, common raven, house sparrows, and then we headed back on the road <laughs> towards... Uh, to, to the actual destination spot, the first place we were supposed to start birding, which was also, again... Just just right on the side of the road, just yeah. some random, uh, the road d- dips down and there's some bushes on the left that kind of run along a ditch where there's some, some moisture. So there's a couple cactuses and stuff that are running in that ditch and it was pretty good. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. So at that, that site, you know, we, we got an official Bucard's friend because yes. we had seen it the day before, but weren't entirely sure. And that's actually when we got corrected of that's the Bucard's friend. We were like, oh, so our life for Bucard's friend was actually yesterday. <laughs> Yeah. Not not today. Uh, so we fixed that list. Yes. And house finches there. There was a cinnamon rub seed eater, a couple warblers, like we said, Nashville warblers. Yeah, Nashville warblers galore. Yeah. 
Um, but a lot of stuff just moving through. I think mm-hmm. we spent about an hour just waiting as waves of things were coming in. Yeah, yeah. And then we we hopped into the car and went maybe two hundred feet up the road and hopped out again because all of a sudden there was a bunch of white-throated towhees, which is a uh, it's a near Oaxacan endemic. Mm-hmm. It's a Mexican endemic, but it's almost endemic to Oaxaca itself. It barely goes out of the two states on um, the north, the northwest, and then the Chiapas to the to the east. But uh, super cool bird. Not really that shockingly white throated or anything. It's just kind of like, well, that's a tohi, and I guess it's got a little bit. It's throws a little bit white. Maybe in breeding plumage, it looks more striking. Yeah. But uh, but it, but it was really interesting. Like this near Oaxacan endemic, and they were everywhere. Mm-hmm. We pull over at that first, there's this third stop, technically, um, 100 feet up from the second stop, and just tons of them. And, and and along with them, there was so many more of those Bucard's wrens. And then my probably my bird of the day, the um, gray-breasted woodpecker, which, again, not uh, not that shocking looking, not, lo- not like something like a toucan or anything, like amazingly crazy colors, but gray... And it's a Melanerpes woodpecker, so it looks very similar to a, um, a red-bellied woodpecker or a golden-fronted woodpecker from Texas. Um, but it's really interesting because it's, it's cool. It's hanging out on a cactus all by itself. Really good light. We'll see if uh, the photos turn out. But And there were, like, vermilion flycatchers all over the place. Oh, and galore. <laughs> I, I think Edgar was kind of getting annoyed at me because I was so excited about the vermilion flycatchers. Like, I've seen them before. You know, they were in Texas where we lived and everything. But they're just such a gorgeous bird. Oh, I, my like, gosh. I, I can't get over how pretty they are. Yeah. They're, uh, they're amazing. So It just looks like a little flame, you know, hopping around from bush <laughs> to bush. It's like, how does that not light up? I know. Yeah, so so we're we're kind of working our way down. We move move the car ahead like a hundred feet. Get back in. Get back out. Get back in. Get back out. Like every hundred yeah. feet or so, it's we probably should have just walked the whole way and then had Edgar drive behind us or something. <laughs> but it was so so many birds. Like every single time there was a little patch. Like the next time we get to the next property house, they'd have like a little low spot where there's some water, and there'd be tons of warblers all mm-hmm. around it. So it'd be like, oh, this thing's blowing up. Oh, this thing's blowing up. Blowing up here. Blowing up there. Um, I think Edgar was really targeting. I think the whole reason going there wasn't to just burn along that road. I think the target was the dry bed, the dry riverbed that we yeah. got to. So we get down to this dry river riverbed, and it is hopping. Like there, there is so many birds. Well, we had right out there, caracaras immediately. Yeah, caracaras. Um, what is it? The streak back? Not the Oriole. The, the streak vented. Black vented. Black vented. We had a bunch of black vented Orioles, like right, like calling, and just right, like right above the car, right when we got out there. It was it was a good spot. Mm-hmm. And then there was also a flock of dogs, a herd of dogs, a pack of dogs, a group of dogs. Oh, they came that, into that, the that, stream. They came up the stream. They were playing around, and then they they had no interest in us. Like normally, like hood dogs will they'll, they'll come over and see what's up. But these yeah. dogs, they were like, no, we we got a mission. Yeah, we we we're on a mission today. We have some stuff to do. They I expected somebody the to come behind them. Because yeah. I am just not used to seeing like dogs not just, on their own. Just full full hood dog. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys these dogs, um, they played in the water a little bit and then just took off took off upstream. But we walked up the, um a, alongside the stream. There's mm-hmm. a little path that goes along it. Rufus back robins. I had while you guys were looking at something, I think it was a Epidemax or something like that. Yeah. I saw something blue fly into the uh, mm-hmm. bushes next to the stream and I was like 
chasing it, trying to like get it out and it wasn't coming. And I explained to Edgar what I had seen and he's like, oh, it's probably a blue mockingbird. Yeah. And then like a moment later it popped up it and popped I was up. like, yep, there yep, it is. Blue mockingbird right there. Um, but there was green kingfishers that mm-hmm. were flying right along, you know, the edge of the water, which is so cool. Pileated flycatcher, yeah. like tons but when tons he said pil- things. when he said pileated i was excited for a pileated woodpecker <laughs> and then he was like oh pileated it's a pileated and i'm like a pileated what there's p- pileated flycatcher it's interesting i was like oh cool there's second pileated thing on my on my life list oh and there was a sora that yeah. just like was out in full daylight you know hopping around in the yeah. water that was preening itself out in the open that was that was all really fascinating that it was just like did not care that we were there so that not, not my typical experience with a sora <laughs> so that uh stream you know we walked maybe like half a mile until it got mm-hmm. up to um this area that you know i found fascinating in each little community that we went to that they had these sections of land set aside that are communal property mm-hmm. which you know i kind of felt like was similar to like how blm land yeah. kind of works here that people can use that land for um grazing cattle or mm-hmm. whatever else but it's part of the community's holding uh so i just i thought that was really cool up at the top there wasn't any cattle nobody was using it at the time but just like so many different cactuses and plants yeah. up there like it was just it's kind of a beautiful nature park <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, and and that's also where we got the um, our first silky flycatchers. Oh my gosh! This for our, our silky flycatchers that were just kind of like flying flying around. That these guys, silky is definitely it's a good word. for It's it. a very good word. They are so smooth and just like just they're so smooth. I don't know how else to describe yeah. it besides just a smooth flycatcher, <laughs> and it, it, it is like sleek and. Silky. Yeah. And uh, Edgar had hoped that we were going to get a lesser roadrunner mm-hmm. on that that hike up there. So we, you know, kind of went around the edges, hoped that it would come. Yeah, hung out on the dry habitat that was kind of right at the top of where we could get from the from the dry riverbed there. Yeah. But it didn't end it, up It wasn't out. to be. Oh, well. So, you know, after a while, and I mean, this list is, is over three hours. So we were on this hike for a little while yeah. and we started walking back towards the car and then we saw some stuff moving around in the bushes, mm-hmm. like right where the blue mockingbird was. Yeah, yeah. And it ended up being Grufildani's. Yeah, a whole family of them. Yes. Yeah. So it was like, oh, cool. And we both saw Ani's and we were like, oh, Ani's. And then we had to double check, like, are they smooth build or groove build in this area? And... I, I, cause I'm not, I'm not super familiar with their actual distribution mm-hmm. and it like, it's, I think you were looking it up, looking up distribution and I finally, one of them came out enough to get a good look and it's like, oh, that's Groove Build. <laughs> there. It's a, it's a Groove Build Ani. I love seeing Ani, so they're I know. so charismatic. Yeah. And, and they, they, like, you can, you can see the family interaction between like the group while they're, while they're traveling. Like there's obviously one that's kind of leading the charge and then a couple that are always bickering together and then a couple that are t- taking up the rear. Well, and as we were walking down, you know, back towards the car, um, they were calling in yeah. the background too. So that was, that was fun. Oh yeah. I just, yeah, there's so much of these birds that like we would see in Texas, like the green kingfishers and the vermilions mm-hmm. and the group build onis that I just like don't get enough of. Yeah. And they're so entertaining and just, yeah, very cool. So, um, got back in the car that we had about 48 species at that site and then headed off to lunch at a textile museum. Yeah. So we, unfortunately here, we didn't get to watch them actually do the, um, operating the looms. Um, we, we saw this a little bit later in the trip, but I got to, I sat there and I stared at the looms and I'm like, how do these things work? (laughs) 
I don't, I've never watched a manual loom in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just like fascinated with looking at this thing. Like it's so complicated. There's ropes going every which direction. There's thread going every which direction. There's foot pedals. There's hand things. There, it is, it is a full body situation. And I, we couldn't get to see how it worked that day, but we got some really good mole. Oh yeah. This, this restaurant, it, it wasn't, um, what, Edgar really wanted us to go to the place that he he was like all excited about was was closed for the day, but this place they had some really good mole. So, Oaxaca is um, pretty famous for a number of different moles. There's um, two in particular that uh, there's a um, negro mole, uh, mole negro, which is a black mole, and then there's another mole that's kind of we didn't get to try it. It was it's a really it's they call it a rare mole. Um, I didn't. I, never, I didn't see it on a menu anywhere, but when I was looking it up, it was I was that was one of the ones I really wanted to to see if I ever saw it on a menu. But it's uh, I think it's for special holidays and stuff. Mm. Um, but there's all sorts of other ones. There's uh, um, mole Colorado, which th- the dish you had had um, mole Colorado and mole negro, yeah, which is a red mole and a black mole, mm-hmm. and they are so good. Oh yeah, I lo- I love mole. That's when when we go to Mexican food here in in the states, I usually try to find a mole. It's not as flavorful up here as it is down there. Um, I feel like that is like the pure uncut mole. Like it's, <laughs> like, like it's, it, you you get some good. I mean, it's it's a complicated flavor. Like there's like you, you taste it and then it has so many different layers to the flavor. It is it's super good. It's I I can't remember your sister was talking about how there's like 68 spices that make up. It's make like up a mole. no, it's like that. There's like 20 ingredients that yeah, it, that make it up. That the ingredients list is huge, but it and, also depends because, like you said, there's a handful of different moles. Oh, tons of different it's, recipes, yeah. and the the mole that we got at this place was really good. It was my mm-hmm. first mole for the trip, and it was very good. Yeah. I, I liked it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was chicken and mole and some i think there was some steak on it and stuff it was just kind of all lots lots of meat in this dish and then and then a bunch of mole just all over the whole top of the thing which which was super good so anyways then we we got back to birding (laughs) and uh we moved up the valley after this very heavy meal went went back out into the heat i know right um we went back out and went birding at a spillway just beneath a dam Mm -hmm. and that ended up being you know great butterflying as well as great burning too because it was you know starting to get warm so all the butterflies were kicking up lots of um monarchs yeah tons of monarchs yeah yeah so this whole area was full of of uh, milkweed like Mm -hmm. it would like there was multiple we can you can see like multiple different species of milkweed just kind of all around this uh spillway the water that was coming down it was very very shallow water i think because they weren't they weren't using the spillway Mm -hmm. but it was just so so many different types varieties of milkweed it was, it was fascinating. And we saw the, the lady with a dog coming down that she had just hiked to the top of this mountain that we were right next to, which yeah. the mountain, it looked like it was a horrible hike. Like it looked like it was <laughs> going to be rough, but I looked it up on all trails yeah. and it's only a mile and a half out and a mile and a half back. Oh, that's nothing. But it's 1100 feet of elevation. Oh, yeah, that's so a lot. it's pretty, pretty steep. Well, and but, I didn't realize how high Oaxaca is. I mean, it averaged like 6,000 feet. Yeah. Yeah. Where, we're, 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 a, we're a mile above sea, like yeah. the whole time. Which it didn't feel like it. No, it did not. Even when we were hiking, like I didn't have any like no. altitude, you know, issues. No, I didn't feel really out of breath the whole time. But so. also it helped that Edgar, like, you know, he has, keeps a pretty steady, like slow pace. Yeah, that's true. So that didn't, we didn't have to run anywhere, which yeah. is handy. Yeah, so we we didn't go on the mile and a half hike to the top of the mountain, but we did hike along the um, the spillway water, mm-hmm. which there was tons of stuff. A lot of the same stuff that we had earlier in the day, um, but we did get dusky hummingbird. Yeah, 
And then what I thought was fascinating is we had a mix of Eastern and Western warblers, what we consider Eastern and Western warblers. So yeah. like, I think, like, I know Nashville warbler is in the West, but I think of it as an Eastern warbler because I see it so much more often in Texas yeah. than I do anywhere else. So I think of it over there. And then we had McGillivray's warbler and Wilson's warblers, which are Western warblers, mm-hmm. like warblers that I think of as Western warblers. So it's, it was just, it was really interesting seeing like these where they migrate from both sides of the U.S. down to Oaxaca, where they meet together to winter. I was kind of, and then they separate their ways when they go back up north. I was thinking about that. Do you ever think they're like in a conversation with each other, and they're like, "Hey, you should come check out the West. It's really cool." And <laughs> then because we saw like some black and whites too. Yeah, black, black and white whites. Warblers. Yeah, but and they're exactly. Like, that, that's the other Eastern warbler I was thinking. It's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I think I'm gonna stick to you know the Eastern <laughs> side. <laughs> Um, anyways. Anyways. Yeah, so that was that was a really nice little hike. We saw a ton of green herons for some oh, reason. Yeah. They were so all over the place. Uh, enough than a trip to filter. Yeah, and then we got up to the dam at the top of the dam. Like the lake wasn't super full. No, was, um, I guess it was it was like two thirds full or so from what um Edgar was saying. Uh but black Phoebe, Great Kiskadee, Social Flycatcher, Tropical Kingbird. There was a lot of lease creeps there too, mm-hmm. uh, which is fun to see them. And uh yeah, we get Got a pretty good variety in that place. And then we got back in the car and headed further up the stream. Oh, yeah. yeah I worked our way up the stream. And when this next stop that we stopped at was the death of my legs. So any, I think anybody that knows me, I always wear shorts. Every Pretty much as if I can do it, I'm wearing shorts everywhere. Mm-hmm. And very rarely do I regret it. Um, <laughs> this is a day I regret it. But... I very rarely do I regret it. I also don't prepare very well. Don't usually use bug spray. You don't think ahead. I don't think ahead. Um, I don't usually use bug spray. When I do, I try not to use very much because I don't. I don't really like spreading that stuff, especially because it, it can get it can mess up optics and yeah. stuff like that. So I try. I try to avoid it. But we, I didn't use any bug spray that day, and I was wearing shorts, and I had approximately so seven million mosquito bites on my legs, somewhere in the range of seven million mosquito bites. Um, but. It was it was intense. Um, if you go up that way, long sleeves, long pants, or bug spray, or both. Um, well, but, and we had brought bug spray with us, but we didn't take it that day because we just didn't think ahead. Yeah, didn't, so. didn't think ahead. Yeah, anyways, bug spray. Um, just but, use but, it. But interestingly, not many of the um, the striped tiger mosquitoes. They were all like little, really little, little mosquitoes. Yeah, they, like, they weren't the the invasive Asian mosquitoes that uh, that we get like in Texas pretty commonly. That, yeah, like that hurt when they bite you. These like, ones, you they nothing. didn't bite through my pants. No, which yeah. normally, yeah, the the ones we get in Texas, they yeah, they the, the, those invasive ones, they go right through your clothes, no problem. Yeah. yeah, but these guys, they were little tiny mosquitoes that uh, just a, a long shirt and long long pants would have solved. The problem entirely. Yeah. But it wasn't to be. I got mosquitoes like crazy. Hindsight 2020. Yeah, hindsight 2020. Uh, it's all but good. anyways, that was a really good stop, even though the mosquitoes, because we had an orange-billed yes. nightingale thrush. I was, know. I think it, I got some good recordings of it, too. It was calling, and then uh, we sat and waited, and it finally like hopped across the road really quickly. Yeah. And Edgar was trying to get us better looks, and we are like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's, it's, a, it's a, a skulking bird. It stays low. We heard it sing. And then we saw it fly across the road. That's about as good as it's but it gets for a lot of skulking birds. That stop was great. Greenish Elenia, Dusky Flycatcher, uh, the Rufus Cap Warbler. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just hopping at that site. Even well, because of the mosquitoes, probably. Probably because of the mosquitoes. They're probably really all loving, the, loving eating the mosquitoes. 
Um, hopped back in the car and then started up the the valley even more, got to a more remote area. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like a logging road area. But yeah, like I couldn't really figure out why those roads were there. I mean, we didn't really come upon any houses. No, it's a, there's a cycling path up there, but is we it? didn't see any, like that whole area is for uh, mountain biking. Really? I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, oh. that's, that's what the GPS map, or like the Google Maps shows for the area is it's a whole mountain biking area. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, to me, it just looked kind of like the logging roads that we have here. Oh yeah. Definitely looked like, like logging just, roads. Yeah. Random roads out in the wilderness. Uh, but we hiked in about maybe, I don't know, half a mile mm-hmm. and there was this tree that Edgar teased me because I called it the magic tree because magic tree. everything just like would come to that tree and we I mean we stopped we'd, and we'd be it like, for like half an hour we'd be like hey I, it would be really nice to see a thick-billed kingbird and then it would start calling and then thick-billed kingbird would land right in the tree and yeah. then we'd be like oh I'd, I'd like to get a better look at these silky flycatchers there's silky flycatchers laying in the tree. It, it happened for like three species in a row. So it was like, okay, that's that's this is the tree that we need to watch. And as we um, were standing there, a dog walked out of the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and joined us and just kind of laid down at our feet. And I named her Panchita. Yeah. She, poor little thing, had cactus spines coming out of her. Kept stuck in her face, yeah. Yeah, so I'm hoping that um, she's... Hopefully she has people that I'm hoping can t- she's pull those out for her. doing well now. Uh, so we kept on walking down that road until we got to another creek and that's where we got, you know, Canyon Run. We had some kingbirds flying around mm-hmm. and we were about to head back after we got, um, I think it was the Canyon Run after it was call- done calling. We were going to head back to the car. So we heard the Canyon Run yeah, call yeah. and we were kind of like, oh, okay, we'll walk back. And then Edgar heard a greater peewee calling. And he was like. I hear a greater peewee. I don't know if you guys want to go see it. And we're like, well, yeah, let's. And I, I, I mean, I was kind of tired of the, <laughs> at that point. I was like, how much longer? <laughs> and then, so he was like, yeah, I heard it. And we're like, okay, better go see it. <laughs> and so then we walked, I don't know, like 30 feet up the trail. And there it was. Yeah. So I was very thankful. I didn't just like wimp out at that point. <laughs> yeah. No, it was super visible. It was calling. Mm-hmm. It was visible for photos. Great, yeah. great looks. Yeah, so we kind of overshot the car a little bit down another path, mm-hmm. and uh, Edgar wanted to go down that way because he had seen bridled sparrows there. Yeah, and so we yeah walked another I don't know quarter mile or so. Yeah. And Cheetah followed us the whole way. Yeah, just walking along with us. Yep, she was a very very good girl, and um, ended up having the bridled sparrows right alongside the road. Yeah, it's a very handsome sparrow. That's as, what, as they say. That's what Merlin says. <laughs> So, yeah, that was a great day. We had a lot of lifers, had a lot of great looks at birds that, you know, we love and and don't get to see that often. Mm -hmm. Natural warblers, like, all over the place. I think this may be long enough for one episode. We have two more days of birding. We have lots of other days of cultural exploration that we can talk about in our second episode about Oaxaca. But I think uh, I think that's probably about it. Well, I think I want to mention though that oh, yeah, yeah. that evening we finished off by having tlaudas in the square oh, the in that yeah, yeah. Zocalo Square at a different restaurant, yes. which is a typical food that you can get in Oaxaca, mm-hmm. and it's like a giant corn tortilla that they put black bean black refried beans on and che- the Oaxacan cheese, the Oaxaca cheese, which Oaxaquillo. is delicious. And which then, I didn't know you could get in the states. Like that's you you can oh. go to the, and it, it's essentially it's. Like mozzarella, it's, it's like very, it's very similar to mozzarella. Oh, so good. Um, slightly different process for making it, but it's basically as on the most basic level, it's just another mozzarella. Um, don't let a cheese connoisseur hear me say that. <laughs> but uh, the Oaxaca is really good. Yeah. Um, it's it's got it's got a more it's 
Again, like the mole, it's got a more full flavor than something like a like a mozzarella. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really good. And beans, that uh, Oaxacan cheese, and then whatever meat of your choosing. And then you just fold it up into this big, huge corn tortilla, which it's a twice-baked tortilla. So mm-hmm. it's this huge, it's it's a big tortilla. Seems flour, but it's corn. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah, and uh, we also enjoyed live music there in the park at the yeah. end of the day. It was It was a great day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so like Eric said, that kind of wraps up our first couple days in Oaxaca. We'll definitely talk about more because it was... more birding and more culture, more food. Lots of stuff. More everything. Thank you guys all for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and or learned something new. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, and anywhere else that you listen to us. If you would like to connect with us on the socials, follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding on Instagram. Follow our Facebook page at Hannah and Eric Go Birding. Our Twitter at We Go Birding or X at We Go Birding. Um, or you can send us an email at um, hannahandericgobirding at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at www.gobirdingpodcast.com. Tell us what you like, tell us what you hate, and share us with your friends.